The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Good, y'all. This is Cameron Fry with His Girl Friday coming at you on a Saturday night. It's 45 for the first time and I don't know how long. I'm cutting two pods in one week. Uh, if you haven't already, go to Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud. You could check out uh, Thursday's pod, uh, The Dream Doctor, How God Uses Sleep to Heal Our Scars, Heal Our Past, Heal Our Minds. Uh, tonight... Going a different direction. Uh, I kind of teased in that earlier pod uh, some content I've been writing over the past week or two. It's been something that I've been talking about in uh, our T dot Bible study. Um, the last two sessions we've met, and the theme is the topic is work is worship. Our story for God's glory. So you you think about those two words, work and worship, powerful. But let's be honest, we itemize them, don't we? We hardly use them in the same sentence. With one, you have what you put your hands to, work, as in your vocation, your occupation, where skill meets a living. With the other, you have what or rather whom you lift your hands to. The reason for vocation, where Purpose is meets living, where life meets living. It's the kind of living we want to remember when we look back and reflect on our lives. A living, as we so often called, should be a subset of what it means to truly live, right? So if you are like me, or at least the older me, who easily compartmentalize the terms, I get it. Even the church, when we teach the principles behind work and worship, we don't realize how easy it is for us to put them in their own separate silos. And we think as long as we teach those values, those principles, we'll automatically know how to apply them to each setting of our life. And I say that with sarcasm applied. And it's not just work and worship. I think we, we, there's nothing wrong in teaching a New Testament principle uh, from one of Paul's letters, um, you're teaching one of the Beatitudes from the Gospels, and you're unpacking it, and it, there's rich theology, but there has to be some type of application where Scripture meets the present for most people, and since we all work, I mean, the Scripture needs to meet something that we do almost every day of our lives, and it's something that God has called us to. It's not that we have to just to make an ends meet. I'll get to that in a second, but I th- you know, as I've been writing this, I've realized how little the church has gotten this right, at least when I was younger. Maybe there's a turn going on. Maybe your church, um, your religious organization has caught on to this this need, this trend uh, to really marry the two. You know, His Girl Fry is about integrating sacred and secular, bridging the gap between the two. And you could look at that as work and worship as well. At any rate, when we consider the origin of work and its modern-day application, I believe there's fresh freedom and joy to be found. So that's what tonight's pod is going to 
center on, uh, what it means to be a worship thinker as opposed to a work thinker. Or, put another way, what working to the fullest looks like when function becomes a part of our daily abiding in Christ. So a couple questions to open up. Uh, how do we treat work as a source of identity? Do we treat work as a vehicle for personal fulfillment? Do we treat work as a necessary evil in order to just get that paycheck, to get the benefits as a roadmap to retirement? If we answer yes to any of those questions, uh, then I submit our work has become either a place of pleasure, performance-based thinking, or even worse, a means to an end. Or rather, a, a means, period. When we talk about work as worship, it really is an end, not a means. So we're going to debunk the myth that work has to be a means in some capacity, and we'll focus on the question, how then do we treat work if we're to elevate it as a selfless sacrifice of praise? That's the question we're going to look at to prove that work as worship was meant to be an end. So let's talk about uh, Genesis 2. Uh, that's going to be the main passage we camp out on tonight. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, turn to Genesis 2.15. We're going to flash back to the Garden of Eden here. And we'll read through verse 20. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gives... The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. All right. Six verses. Quite a punch. Before we discuss Adam's work, we're going to talk about the timeline and the order and the sequence uh, that the, this batch is laid out. Uh, but note how, just zooming out, God gave Adam a task before sin entered the world. We're, sin comes in chapter 3, but right now we're in chapter 2. We're already at the seven-day mark of creation. Sin hasn't entered the picture, and this has huge implications as how we're to perceive work. You see, oftentimes we see our job as a consequence and or choice before we see it as a gift. We think what we do is a product of what we have done, good or bad. There has to be a reason why we've ended up where we're at. But from the very beginning, we find God designated responsibility in the form of delegated authority. I think part of the reason why we separate work and worship is because we separate responsibility and authority. We view work as responsibility and responsibility alone when we forget that when we think about how God entrusted Adam, he was entrusting him to be an extension not only of his hand in cultivating the grace garden ever in history, but to be an extension of voice in naming what he'd already cultivated, what he'd already created. That's what we miss. That's why work and worship go together. You can't separate the extension of hand from the extension of voice, and we're meant to. God has entrusted us with the same authority to go and make disciple makers, to make his name known. 
And God was beginning to do that uh, through an assignment. Um, but note that the assignment wasn't yet specified. God put the man in the garden of Eden to work it, to keep it, but the specifics weren't yet there yet. The specifics were coming, but before he could get specific with the assignment he had for Adam, he had to be specific with the parameters, the boundaries. This is also very important for us because we see that God was establishing a culture of intimacy and authority and making sure it had a safe place to flourish. And this goes back to verse 19, which... Verse 19 was, was one that really gripped me in a separate way. I didn't really unpack this in the post so much, but it's just interesting to note that God brought the living creatures to Adam. He didn't say, here, God, go find them, or just as you run into them you know, in your natural walk, your natural walk, um, just name them as they come, or as you run into them. I didn't really stop to think that God brought the animals to him. God was directing the whole time, Adam didn't have to strive to find the animals. All right. So God knew before he could delegate a particular assignment to Adam, he needed to not only learn dependence on him in and out of work, but also his identity detached from the helper, Eve, who was to come. We find in verse 18, again, before the assignment was ever specified, i.e. naming the livestock, the birds, and the animals. We see God also seeing Adam and knowing it wasn't good for him to be alone. And this tells me something about God's heart and his nature. He, he sees way before we possibly ever could. It's part of his sovereignty. It's part of his faithfulness, his providence. If we doubt that he doesn't know what's coming, he does. He knew even before he gave the assignment to Adam, uh, to name uh, that ultimately he would need a helper. But God so loved Adam, he didn't want to let Adam find identity or mix his sense of refuge with his helper, Eve, or with a particular assignment. And the quick application is this. There are going to be times where we don't understand why we're at a certain place, you know, how we could possibly give God glory or honor where it has it because it doesn't make sense in our natural minds. But a lot of times, and this has been, this kind of uh, hits home because I felt this a lot at TDOT Finance. I know I'm supposed to be there, but I don't know the full reasons why. I don't have the definition. I'm kind of caught in verse 15 and 16 as opposed to the 18 and 19 that I crave. Because I know that for me, I'm kind of different from a lot of my colleagues. A lot of people, this is where they're meant to be long term, and this is a this is a stop for me. But even then, I can't camp out on that thought too much. Because I usually get tripped up in trying to make sense of everything. I go back to the garden in my mind, and I think about just... What does God want to do? Even with what I don't understand or what I don't have yet in front of me, it's not, there's, lots, there's a lot of things that I'm not supposed to know right now that God hasn't authorized or given me the green light to discover yet. But intimacy is always there. Knowing God more. Oh, I want to know God more. There is always that. We can enjoy with Him. We could delight in Him. We could celebrate. We could be thankful. We could declare good things. We could make, again, make his name known. We could still experience the very reason 
for life. Our calling and purpose could still be tapped into. And this was something that God really wanted Adam to get from the get So the order of these six verses are paramount to understanding why we work, the reason for work, and how work is worship at the end of the day. And a lot of content out there, by the way, it, it does a great job tying the two together through mission. But I haven't yet found a whole lot of material that integrates creation and the garden into the equation, and that's what I want to do with this post slash pod. All right. So yes, God intended a help made for Adam before he was created, but more importantly, God intended Adam to learn his identity and purposes overflow before work or wife existed. The existence of work evidenced by the garden is proof that God desires to establish intimacy with us outside of work so he could build upon that intimacy as we work. And furthermore, we can do some other things like work plays a role in how we interact with God. The only way to understand the purpose of work enjoy our work and the fruit of our labor is by enjoying God as we work. It's based out of Psalm 1611. For Adam, tending the garden wasn't his purpose. Worship was his purpose. There's another way we'll, we'll describe that. I'll get to that in just a second. Accordingly, we can perceive our work as both a necessity and an overflow. So what Genesis 2 said as our backdrop, let's go back to, uh, or actually, let's go look at a different passage, Colossians 3, specifically uh, 3, 12 through 17, and then 23 through 24. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So here in this passage, Paul is capturing work as worship once it's an overflow locked in rhythm. This is a beautiful template of what, of what worship is in, in one regard, but also um, how worship or work is worship as uh, the chapter 3 closes out. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. The reward is Christ. And this is something I shared in our Bible study uh, last week. It's cool to be a follower on Christ with mission on Christ to believe everything Christ has said about himself because then we can, as we work, we have him as a reward with us. So, and, and we're also, we are working towards something. There, there, there is a mission element uh, to our faith, so we don't have to get that wrong, but in every stage of the game, there's a reward attached. There's an inheritance that we, yes, we are working towards that, but for those who are striving, who you know, it may not even be a salvation issue, but for those who are really striving and see work as, again, that necessary evil as a means to an end, as a way of obtaining something, even if it, that thing is just favor with men, opportunities, if we feel like we have to prove ourselves, we have to work up the ladder, and then without even realizing it, we've, we've bought into these systems of hierarchy and merit that the world preaches at us. It's part of our... Uh, 
capitalist bent, I guess. Um, and capitalism in all its forms and facets is not necessarily rooted in Scripture. It, it can find applications, sure. Um, but the thing about capitalism, if we're not careful, we can, if we're not anchored in our walk with the Lord, if we're not daily abiding with Him, it could easily derail us into thinking we have to, um, we have to effort and even slave to obtain things for our good rather than trusting that the Lord will provide if we are faithful in that and we stay true to what we believe that we live above reproach and we're living with integrity. We're living with confidence and character and courage. Oh, I love those C words, by the way. But So, anywho, all I'm trying to say is there is a roadmap where we are thankful, we remember that we are God's chosen ones, so we trust the Lord. We don't abuse that trust, just like we don't abuse grace. We still forgive others. Nothing really changes as far as our relational interaction at work uh, compared to our relational interaction with anyone anywhere else. But we get this beautiful picture of how we can stay uh, true when it comes to work as worship at work. And then when you, again, combine Genesis 2 as a backdrop, we get a really cool breakdown of just what certain benefits are, benefits that are going to go far beyond what HR can tell us. And due to just word count slash the, we're already at this, past the 17-minute mark on this pod, I want to wrap up with this list of benefits. So being a worship thinker, does quite a bit. It frees you to enjoy the moment of the work. It provides a sense of closure at every juncture of every task, even if the project isn't done. It frees you from becoming unnecessarily offended at other teammates. Since punctuality or accuracy isn't your first priority, note that first is a key word there. doesn't mean that you should not attempt to be at time at your job or that you shouldn't go for 100% accuracy or give 110% effort. Um, but you have your priorities in order. And so it's just important that, you know, going in that I want to be like Christ and knowing that punctuality and accuracy will overflow. Those are overflows that come. Most people are going to look at it the other way and see those things as something that they're going to, I have to hit that mark on the way in. I got to constantly be hitting it, otherwise I'm going to lose. It, it fears attached, that's where we go astray. Uh, we can have an understanding of the truth, but if our relationship with the truth is based out of fear, if our application of the truth is based out of fear, we're really not going to move the needle when it comes to doing what we're really called to do, which, in a few words, to give God glory and make His name known. All right, sorry, that was more of a mouthful than intended at that point, but we continue. So being a worship thinker frees you to be honest with that agenda and biased with your teammates because you know that how you handle yourself is a fragrant offering of worship to God. Being a worship thinker motivates you to work over longer periods because you're, you're no longer experiencing emotional drains that come from the fear that your voice won't be heard or fear of another's performance. You're, you're not comparing yourself to other people uh, or the fear of failure since your definition of success has changed. Being a worship thinker motivates you to give God your best and embrace accountability. It helps you be more open to critique from team members and supervisors. It reminds you the work is not your identity, but working unto the Lord is. It's a big one. It helps you see work experiences, learning opportunities, and minimizes anxiety during a project or carrying out your responsibility because you can better compartmentalize. And in this case, compartmentalize has a place if we define it as prioritizing at each juncture uh, the job. Uh, there's a time to 
you know, just anchor it down and get it done. There's a time to stagger it and be like, I got to focus on this for the next hour or two, come back. Um, and sometimes you have to prioritize a person like God will say, I need you to talk to this person and you have this window to do it. And it requires you to pause a certain task, come back to it, know your deadlines, um, and even try to beat those deadlines if, if you can. But just, again, if you're just obedient and you're sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, so much will take care of itself uh, through that form of faithfulness. You don't have to worry. Um, you know, minimize, and another perk is it minimizes fear of what your boss can do to you. This means while you honor your boss, you're not controlled by his or her attitudes or behaviors towards you. Helps you see business culture as more freeing when bottom line is going to be on profit or uh, position. Being a worship thinker refreshes the way you perceive success uh, in your organization. It protects you from deriving identity from profits and or positions. It protects you from taking on damaging behaviors like over-control and over-accommodation or people-pleasing. Um, and allows you to be more patient in your work because each work moment is treated as a worship moment. I'm sure there's more benefits that we could talk about. This is a obviously a very thorough 20-point list just about. Um, and if you have anything to add to this list, by all means, I want to hear from you. This is an opportunity to share and engage and uh, collaborate as the body of Christ. But bottom line is when we see work as an overflow of worship, when we see work as worship, we find intimacy at the core of success, which is bringing pleasure to God through the gifts he's given us, again, so we can make his name known to the world. And being that I'm, uh, let's see, over the 21-minute mark, I'll just let that be a mic drop. Boom for this particular pod, for this particular episode. I love this stuff, guys, and this might be a part one. Uh, I think next time I might look at 1 Corinthians 3 a bit more thoroughly, again, with Genesis 2 as the backdrop, and in Colossians 3 now. Now that we've we've tackled those two passages, we can let that be the backdrop of the of future posts to talk about this, and I think 1 Corinthians 3 will be the next stop for us. Uh, but I encourage you to just take time this week to just be honest with the Lord, see if you you have kind of put some separation between work and worship in your life, and it's, it, you want to give God glory in all you say and do. Um, maybe you you kind of turn off or turn down uh, the faith uh, or just your voice uh, while you're at work. Um, <clears throat> you're really good about praying and reading the Word and having quiet time before and after work, but it's just it's not even a thought. Um, I know for me what helps is worship music and just, you know, tuning out the voices sometimes. Like, there's certain podcasts I like to listen to, certain channels on Spotify I like to listen to. Sometimes it's just good to turn on the worship music and just soak as you work. Now, there's practical things we could talk about that <clears throat> just invite the Holy Spirit and create this welcoming atmosphere where we're, <clears throat> again, putting our hearts in position to be sensitive to His leading and His following. <clears throat> Sorry, I got something in my throat, y'all. I don't know what's going on. All the more reason to wrap this up and bring it for a landing. If you have any questions, if any of this hits a personal nerve, again, feel free to share or PM us when you have an opportunity. If not, you know me. You know us. Um, we're praying for you. We're constantly rooting for you. And we may not know you. But we may not ever get to meet you. But we certainly know um, that there are many out there who are vocational, who are troubleshooting, faith on the front lines, who are looking to bridge that sacred and secular, and it's not always easy. We have to keep the conversation ongoing, and that's one thing that really burns within me is 
this is not just a close conversation where you know, we're, we're going to open this up for this season, then we're not going to open it back up again. It's, it's a daily thing. The nature of work is constantly changing. There'll be new, you know, there's, there's always new occupational patterns and trends in our society. And how we communicate the gospel, how we evangelize in sometimes some very difficult, uh, some very tough environments. It's worth keeping that discussion going. So that's why we're here and why we'll continue to be here for the near and indefinite future. So we love you. And as we always say, when we close out these pods, we'll catch you on the fry. Peace.